This is an OSV Podcasts production. To learn more about OSV Podcast Network, visit osvpodcasts.com. If you're like one of the three people on the planet who have not seen the Matrix trilogy, that's your fault, not mine. <laughs> that's most of my students now. <laughs> that's their fault, not mine. We had a listener who asked us to talk about God's will, particularly his permissive and his providential will. Yep. And so it got me thinking about the Matrix because I'm like obsessed with the Matrix right now. Why are you obsessed with the Matrix right now? That's I figured you guys would carry this conversation <laughs> on. I wouldn't be talking to myself about the Matrix because there's so much to talk about. But I feel like it is seriously one of the best attempts to really get into the nature of choice and what makes it so, I don't even want to say human because they really get into this whole programs, the AI stuff, which I think is metaphysically impossible. I mean, I don't know what you guys think. Well, as we continue to crawl into your mind, talking about the Matrix, this is 10,000 Places. Oh, yeah, right. Sorry. This is a <laughs> podcast. We're not just talking. <laughs> this is the 10,000 Places podcast, where we look for God in 10,000 places. Where will we go? What will we find? Hopefully, Jesus. I'm Lewis Pearson. I'm Justin Aquila. I'm Alex Giltner. So I know that the Wachowskis, when they made this, said they thought, why is it interesting movies are boring and action movies are stupid? So they mm-hmm. intentionally tried to make a philosophical kung fu movie, basically. Right. Like, you don't have to have My Dinner with Andre Mm-mm. in order to have a philosophical movie. Right. Although I liked My Dinner with Andre. It's nowhere near as fun as watching <laughs> The Matrix <laughs> yeah. trilogy. So in the first one, the experience of realizing... Everything isn't what you thought it was. Having the rug completely pulled out from right. under your feet is something people wanted to have experienced again. But you can't. Once you have it, yeah. you do it no, again, it's not going to happen. I think we're mostly in agreement, but I would add like a little twist to that. I think they did experience that exactly. I think the brilliance of the second one I is that everything they thought they knew because of the first one is then again ripped out from under them. But this time they're not excited. They're upset. Right. Yeah. Because... It's the second act. And as we all know from Papa George, the second act always leaves us feeling crummy. Right. Right. And George Lucas, he was following the ancient. Yeah. The Greek tradition. Yeah. Yeah. Act two is where the conflict, you know, leaves you in a lurch. Mm -hmm. The second one I really love because cause and effect, free will, these questions arise really strongly. It's a character question. The third one, I think it makes clear you need it to round it out to finish the story. I guess where I like what the third movie does is the great scene where basically when you finally have Neo and Smith going up against each other and they're they're doppelgangers, right? They're opposites. Mm-hmm. It's like a Hegelian thesis, antithesis, fighting it out. Right. And Which is what they're going for, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And when he, Agent Smith doesn't understand why Neo won't just quit in despair. And he has that moment where he says... Why, why, why are you still getting up? What is it? Is it hope? Is it love? Only humans would come up with something as insipid as love, you know, trying to make sense out of a universe that is ultimately meaningless. And that's where Agent Smith has come. He's come to a a full-blown nihilism. And so all he can do is remake the world in a copy of his own despair. And Neo stands up and he says, because I choose to, right? And... That is a response that it works as a movie response. It's not the best philosophical response, but there's something really deep inside. And I think this is also not only 
deep inside the theistic or the classical or even the Christian tradition, but in the Catholic tradition, because after the Protestant Reformation, theologies that do not privilege the radical freedom of the will became mainstream. Yeah. Right. So the worry for some of these, and I'm thinking about Calvinist strains, is they want to lean into the sovereignty of God. They want to make clear God's sovereignty is supreme, but they lean into it in such a way that makes it look like the will can't be if God's going to be sovereign. And so they make these things at loggerheads. Right. And so they would understand providence as God's ultimate radical and incontrovertible will of every action. Now, there's harder and softer versions of this. Some Calvinists think we maintain mostly free agency except in terms of a final radical choice. Some really do maintain that everything is acting according to God's will, even the smallest molecules movement. When you stub your toe, that was God's will. The But the big thing with Calvinism is that God decides if you're going to heaven or hell. Yeah. You don't do anything with that. And for them, you know, even Calvin said this is good news. This was one of the joyous councils, even though it's only good news for <laughs> for some, a very particular portion <laughs> of the population. Shall we say in the left? Yeah, right, right. Well, but, you know, if you're damned, you might think, well, I couldn't help it. So, yeah, thank goodness. So it wasn't my choice. Well, this is pro- that's exactly <laughs> yeah. the the scandal of it. Is I mean, no offense to our Protestant brothers and sisters who are reformed, but I mean. It seems to confirm someone in sin. Yeah. And you have to say in some sense, Adam's sin is predestined by God and predestined in the sense of God actively willed and desired for it to happen. And there has to be a sense in which someone in hell can say, well, it sucks, but it's not my fault. Mm-hmm. Now, they wouldn't like that. The I don't Calvinist th- one. Right. Like I don't him, think they'd yeah. be think I'm being fair to them. I think I'm being fair to them. But I think they would say, no, you still did the sin. God chose not to save you. And I think, wow, that's a distinction without difference. <laughs> um, so he, in other words, he didn't give that person this the irresistible grace, the grace to, right. yeah, yeah, to choose the good. And right. I have my, a couple of Reformed friends' voices in my mind's ear right now, but I'm not going to disagree with what you said. I would do it. Yeah. Let's do it. No, what I mean is I can see how they would dissent from what you said and make a fine philosophical distinction. But I think you're right. There, there may be a distinction there that doesn't really I really don't think it, it, it always cashes out to God wills evil to somehow demonstrate his justice. And that is supposed to be a good thing for those of us who get to not be cataclysmically, eternally destroyed or damned for that justice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so we have this development of terminology to talk about the difference between God's willing when it comes to things like evil being chosen right. by his creatures. This is his permissive will. Right. So the general idea is that everything happens according to God's providence. Nothing happens without God giving some manner of approbation to it. But approbation does not mean an approval of desire necessarily but that nothing happens without God's knowledge of it and without God's allowing it to happen. Mm -hmm. But there is a distinction between God allowing something to happen and God actively wishing and willing and desiring something to happen. Yeah, I've always often thought about this through the analogy of parenthood. There are many things that I could almost foresee my daughter heading down a certain path like that. Mm -hmm. 
that thing that you're doing is going to get you hurt, but I maybe choose to allow it. Not serious things, but oh, sure, sure, it, sure. you might choose to allow her to make the mistake to learn from it or some other good that I perceive be beneficial for her development. Right. So Goonies moment. Yeah. <laughs> um, Goonies never say die. Goonies never say die. Sometimes Goonies watch tomatoes getting blended <laughs> to coax them into saying everything. You guys know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Everything. So when I was in sixth grade, I think it was sixth grade, I forged my parents' signature on a detention slip. And me being the bright, smart, intelligent boy that I was, asked my stepmother, will you sign this piece of paper? I just want to look at your signature. <laughs> and she did. And she looked right at me and said, I know what you're doing. <laughs> and I said, I just want to look at your signature. And then I totally tried it. Uh-huh. And then when she picked me up, because I was staying after, I said I was staying after for some club or something. And of course it was detention. And then she was like, how stupid do you think I am? <laughs> But that would have been permissive will, yeah, right? Yeah. That she did not desire me to attempt to deceive, but she allowed it. And I'd like to think a greater good came about because of it. Right now, it's working as a particularly poignant Analogy. illustration. Yeah. yeah, yeah. For my. Yeah, yeah. And I, I imagine if she said, I know what you're doing, no. I don't know if you would have remembered I don't know this. if I would have actually, no. Yeah, and you remember I, this, though. Oh, yeah. And the thing is, side point. I knew she knew. We all knew. Why did I do it? Why did I do it, Lewis? <laughs> now you're tell sounding, me. N- now you're sounding like Augusta. Tell <laughs> me why. Yeah. Alex was having his own confessions in the middle of the podcast. Yeah. And yet there you were, Lord. <laughs> yeah. Why did I steal the pear? Yeah. And it's not because of peer pressure. That's the first right. answer. But not it, because it of not, right. it's peer not, like pressure. Oh, no. Boom. Oh. Ding, 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 ding. Choom, choom. And you're now on a podcast timeout. That's right. (laughs) And we're back! Podcast timeout. I think you just invented something there, Justin. (laughs) I don't want to go to timeout. My my mind just tied itself in a knot because I was first (laughs) goggling at the fact that I've been reading and teaching Augustine's confessions for like 20 years, and I'd never thought of that pun before or heard it from anybody else. Dude, the, the Lord works in mysterious ways, Lewis. Is this part of his permissive? Absolutely. No, this is this is straight up. Act, he just actively willed he infused. that pun yeah, into yeah. existence. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure it has. Happened. So let's push it because I know that, you know, you can give an answer that sounds a little too facile, right? Mm-hmm. We don't intend that. Mm-hmm. Let's say what happened is I know this is the help, but also the hindrance with analogies. You might say, well, yeah, this is what it's like to be a parent, but God is more than just that. I know if I take my friend with alcoholic predispositions to a bar and everyone's drinking and I'm putting him into an occasion, right? Mm-hmm. But it's different to say, well, if I made him and I made the bar and I made all these influences and I made his neurotransmitters, mm-hmm. it seems like it's a very different story there. Yeah. I know there's answers to this, but I, I wanted to kind of push because I know as a student, but also for listeners, they might think, yeah, but isn't there something more to God's making everything that makes the analogy fail? Yeah, that's a good point. So there's like 50 different ways to go with that. But I'm wondering, are you wanting to go in a particular direction? No, I want to just make sure that we don't leave Mm -hmm. anyone with the impression that we think this is an easy answer. No, yeah, 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 Mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, so first of all, I would say that there is a theological answer to this, and that is, so obviously we all know the pretty old hat answer that everybody says, which is if choices are going to be real and have meaning— They have to have some sort of consequence. 
and they have to actually be chosen. The notion that we are predestined to hell, that anyone is, is actually a, a heresy. It was declared a heresy, I believe, at the Council of Orange. It's called predestinarianism. But the reason why the Catholic Church has always, and I would say other theologies too, this is not mm-hmm. just the Catholic Church, prized free will is because, one, you cannot be punished for something you didn't actually choose, yeah. right? Not justly. But two, you cannot actually love and give yourself to someone without an actual agency, an actual power to choose, right? But if there are real choices, then those effects or consequences of choice also have to be respected according to some sort of natural order in order for them to maintain their authenticity as a free agent. So what does that mean, right? Brass tacks. If I make a choice but suffer no consequences, good or bad, for my choice, then what meaning does my choice really have? And in what sense did I really choose anything at all? Now, we add to this then the issue of the fall, right? So why do people have bad tendencies and then live in a world that exacerbates those tendencies? Well, The world has been distorted by a primal choice, by our primal parents, that have basically, in Augustine's terms, I don't know if I'd put it this strongly, but bound our will. I would say probably distorted our will or distorted our judging capabilities. But either way, one answer to what you're talking about is that the world is the kind of place where choices matter. And when a choice at the cosmic level of Adam and Eve's choice to rebel has a huge consequence to all subsequent choices called the fall. Yeah. So if love is real, then choice is a prerequisite. It's has entailed to be. as having to exist. You cannot coerce someone into loving. Right. And so I say if I give you a choice to accept my love or to reject my love and you reject it and I say, nope, try again. <laughs> and I completely ignore what you say. Right. This is to give your choice really no meaning. Sure. Yeah. I mean, we see this happen. They're called like, you know, stalkers Mm -hmm. and such. We know every time it happens in the real world, it's bad. And I think we can get to a place where we see there's a difference between my putting you in a position where you can fully become aware of your own will and using the knowledge that you have to make choices and places where I'm basically socially engineering what I want from you, basically programming. Right. Right. And so I do think there's two sides to this. One is that I think that sometimes people will kind of lean into providence as a way to avoid having to justify their actions. But also there's a way in which people will say, you know, they'll look at something horrifying and they'll say, that's God's will. And you don't want to say that without (laughs) qualification. Adam's sin was not God's will in the sense that God desired it to happen or forced it to happen. He allowed it to happen because, and Augustine's really good on this point, he says, this is one of his theodicy answers, but God only allows an evil because he is going to bring forth an ultimate greater good from it, right? So a world with choice, even a world of choice where people can do evil and cause great harm, is better than a world without love, right? And then you keep following that through such that, yeah, like a man's choice to, I don't know, kidnap and take the life of a child seems beyond our ken, but from an eternal, infinite perspective, there might be some good. And this isn't something you would say in a hospital room or in a, no, you know, like, yeah. right, like at a... Right. This is not pastoral, what we're talking right, about. Right, 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 right. And what I'm hearing here also is 
it seems like there is almost an innate argument for the goodness and profundity of God because of the wickedness that, right? If you choose between playing one video game or another, who cares? Mm -hmm. But the fact that someone can choose something so horrific, it seems like there's almost a negative proof there somehow for the fact that there's a love that's so grand. This is how far you can fall from it. Yeah, I think so. And I mean, well, it has to be. I mean, this kind of sounds like Balthazar, but right. So the cross is like what greater expression of love. Now, it is awful that Christ had to die and die in such a horrific way on so many levels, pain and beyond. But what greater sacrifice could one make? And so what greater love can one point to? So even that terrible event becomes the greatest event, which is the ultimate expression of how God can bring good from evil. At conferences, and there's arguments between theists and non-theists on the problem of evil, and non-theists will typically say the problem of evil is the biggest problem for theists. I don't know if that's the case, but modern philosophers in America think this. I think it's the most, well, first of all, because in America, people think rhetoric is more powerful than argument. (laughs) And you can be really rhetorical. But I think also, I think logically evil is not really that difficult a problem. Theologically, it's not because of God's triumph over it. But I think that the horror of evil is way more effective in persuasion. Evil is more present to us through media in a way. It's mediated for us in a way probably wasn't before. And we lead in some ways actually easier lives. I think that is the key. I was just thinking that while you were talking. Yeah, we think this life that we live is normal, Mm -hmm. but we're in one of the most anomalous, peaceful, affluent, comfortable ages in the history of mankind. Mm -hmm. Yeah, punctuated by these intense moments of violence. And those seem to be the abnormalities to us. Yeah. (laughs) I was, this reminds me of, so the way I'm going to say the next thing sounds really weird that I was just laughing. (laughs) But when the earthquake happened in the Dominican Republic, gosh, that's going on like over 10 years in a while. Yeah. My then friend, and I'm not friends with him anymore. The last time I talked to him some years ago, he called himself a Christian nihilist, whatever the hell that means. And I remember at the end, he's like, so what answer should we offer these people when we believe in God? Well, who are we to offer any answer, you armchair theologian, blah, 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 you know, all high and mighty. And I remember my other friend who was in the Dominican Republic saying, you know, that post wouldn't go off here very well at all. They are all super thankful to God right now Mm -hmm. because they deal with suffering every day. The only way a person writes a post like that is because they're used to a life of comfort. Yeah, there's right. You you write that post from an armchair. Yeah, right. Exactly. And so, so, and I'm not saying this is a universal answer to your question. Like there are real struggles and sufferings and they do have the power to make us wonder about God Mm -hmm. in very real ways. But I think this is an example of what you just said, which is one of the reasons why I think the strength of the problem of evil argument is more accentuated for us is because our lives are so easy. Because when you are confronted, this has happened to me too, like you're living a fairly comfortable life, everything seems to be going well, and all of a sudden evil and malevolence breaks through this otherwise you know, perfect suburban life. Mm-hmm. It's shocking in a way. Because it's not going according to plan. All of that to say, there are many ways in which the problem of evil can assault us and whatnot. But while these answers are not pastoral answers, the answer of why do good or bad things happen to good people and such is not because God wills them. God does not want 
evil to happen. God permits evil to happen for a network of reasons of respecting the power and the freedom and the dignity of our will, respecting the consequences of our actions, allowing a greater, some sort of greater reality to blossom because of an evil choice. And all of that is radically rooted in the cross, which is the greatest act of love by enduring the most horrific act of evil. And we short circuit that when we try to give these pat answers. Yeah, absolutely. I think we want to give consolation and sometimes we want to give ourselves excuses. I remember a pastor of mine in Texas, uh, Father Timothy Vavrick, he once said, you know, you read the Gospels, Jesus says, nothing can separate you from the love of God. So when you say, oh, we're only human, no, <laughs> that is your choice. So when we say things like, well, it's inevitable that I fall, no, once you've accepted God's grace and you can cooperate with that grace, nothing can separate you except your choice to walk away. Mm -hmm. And so when we say things like, I'm only human or it's God's will, I think it falls flat both as consolation and also as self-justification for sin. We don't let that permissive will do its work. I think about when my mother passed away last fall, what I kept thinking then was, what does this mean? What does this mean? I was praying for her soul. What does this mean? And the people who tried to give me consolation that actually gave me consolation, when they found out that my mother passed away, said, mothers are special. Mm. And they had lost their mother. Yeah. And everyone else was saying, well, I know what it's like. Oh, it must be terrible. I said, just, just let it be. Yeah. <laughs> just let it be. Yeah. That's beautiful to affirm, yeah, the goodness of what is lost. And there's something in the, in the problem of evil that we're wrestling with that, in a sense, all suffering is, is a reflection of what was lost in the garden. It's, it's Amen. A, suffering in some ways is like a, this diagnosis. It's the loss of innocence. Yeah. It's that original innocence that becomes original guilt and then we, an original we, we shame. Like, yeah, we feel it in our existence, in our yeah. bodies even, this restoration that we're longing for. That's redemptive suffering, right? Mm -hmm. That is the we've talked about this on the podcast before, but that just completely enigmatic statement of Paul that I am making up what is lacking in the sufferings of Christ. That that is part of why God permits these things is so that we can participate in participating in that original act of evil that led to every suffering in the world. Also participate in that absolutely original act of redemption. Yeah. Just to shift a little bit, I, I think it's helpful. I heard it once said that heresies often tilt toward an, an extreme. They, mm -hmm. They're trying to balance the scales and right. sometimes overbalance the scales. I think it's important maybe to point out that actually there, there are also limits to our human freedom. So we do not have an unlimited freedom. God doesn't give us complete free will in the sense that he has his will. We share in his will. And the clearest example of that is uh, we have the ability to choose between good and evil, but not determine what is good and what is evil. Mm. So that our freedom is bounded in by reality. I don't disagree with that statement. Mm -hmm. I don't know if God... You want to say did, God's nature is such that he doesn't yeah, have that choice either. Yeah, but mm -hmm. not because... So in absolute being, necessity is not the opposition of freedom. So there are things that God does by necessity, but not because he's not free. Mm -hmm. Because he is such that that is what he must do. And I'm speaking of humans. Right. No, okay, no, no. Okay. But, but we, God was, I guess what, no, I, I totally You're, agree. We okay, can't okay. determine. anticipating a possible. Yeah. I so see, like, yeah, yeah. I'm not saying that God determines in some sort of spontaneous, like expression of sovereignty, what right. is good and what is bad. Right. 
what is good flows from his nature, which is the necessary reality that he is. Just like God cannot tell a lie, it's not because he lacks the power to do some, well, he does in a sense, but like, (laughs) it's not because he has a limit to his power that there's something he cannot overcome. It's rather that nothing can overcome him to make him not speak truth, which is what he is. So it is necessity, but it's not necessity in contradiction of freedom or controversion of freedom. That being said, I just want to clarify that as what you mean by determining good and evil. But that is absolutely true that the human freedom has its limits in that we do not shape reality. Okay. We don't shape the matrix. Right. Right. We have to submit to it and our freedom. That's why the libertarian notion of freedom is as simply the absence or the presence of choice Mm -hmm. is, is problematic. Yeah. This gets it kind of what you're saying, Justin. It's like, one of the things that makes us not understand our own freedom is that we think our freedom literally should be without limits. Yeah. I should be free to determine reality. And even to determine who God is. Yeah. Because God is reality, so I have to accept the givenness of who God is. Right. And that is acting contrary to nature, which in an ancient understanding would be not an act of freedom at all. Because in the ancient mind, freedom is the ability to act uninhibited in accordance with one's own nature, right? Mm-hmm. So I am free to be the fullness of myself. Yeah. That is freedom. I am free to become the fullness of a human being. So like when I can't choose sin, it's not because I lack freedom, but it's because I am so free that I would never choose sin, which is against my very nature. Right. So that sin is itself an expression of a lack of freedom. So people talk about, Freedom is being able to choose whatever you want. And so then college is understood as time of great freedom (laughs) because you can choose anything and you can do all the sins and nobody can stop you. And it's like, no, 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 darling, that's adorable, but also dead wrong. You are giving into servitude and slavery by choosing those things, right? Yeah, instead of the freedom to use college, to use your example, to form oneself into a more real and authentically human person. Yes, it is. Slave to your stomach, a slave to parts south of your stomach. Right, (laughs) right. And that, you know, and there is as much of that in the ancient world as today. The difference is there was no delusions about what that constituted in terms of a free person, Mm -hmm. right? Like, you know, this is the song that Socrates was singing. Yeah. Yeah. A child can't control himself and just does whatever he wants. Like, that's what you call an immature person. Right, and I would not call a child free. Yeah, exactly. And so the Christian notion of freedom that comes from Christ being the true full human and then making us through baptism and the sacraments and the life of the church a full human in our own right is a human that doesn't choose sin, couldn't choose sin because they're too radically free to do something like that, to choose like – If you take your freedom and choose to put yourself in handcuffs and lock yourself in a cell, that's the opposite of freedom. Right. (laughs) They're all choices you made. So the notion that freedom is simply the ability to make any choice I could possibly desire is actually a very, very misguided notion of freedom. Yeah, that's what you're saying is the goodness of freedom. This is maybe an artful way to say it, but that goodness is worth the risk. It is. Um, That's got to be why God allows evil. Yeah, because in doing that, we're more true to our nature and they're more 
thus more fully in his image. And without the power or the option, there can be no true love. But with the power and the option, we can freely choose to love. That is the greatest good, to freely choose God. And this isn't to pop psychoanalyze any particular Calvinist-leaning person, but I wonder if there's a connection between balking at the claim that God has a permissive will and not understanding what true freedom is. I think the logic behind Calvinism is, okay, so they're obsessed, at least historically, with the works versus grace thing. Mm -hmm. And so the idea that I could make any choice is basically doing a work, which means my salvation somehow depends on me. And so the need for there to be no freedom in the choice is a need for grace to rule everything. Everything depends on God. I can do nothing whatsoever to save or cooperate with salvation. God does every single last bit of work, including my own yes, right? Now, that isn't totally off of the Catholic tradition, but it is off in that we do have to make a choice to cooperate. And they say even that is too much. Is that a a mediation that we believe in then? Everything about the first part of what you said, a Catholic would probably affirm. Yeah, there is absolutely nothing. But we cooperate. We wouldn't affirm there's no cooperation. Right. They would say there's not even cooperation. Right. Because God's grace has to be mediated through us. Right. And we have to allow it. He's not going to force us. And so we cannot of our own, because of the damage of sin, Mm -hmm. and I would say complicated by the fact that we were not made perfect. We were made ready for perfection, but not complete perfection. You mean Adam and Eve. Yeah. Yeah. But because of that, we cannot actively say yes to God. We cannot actively say yes to his grace, but we can will to stop saying no. Hmm. We can choose. We can choose to walk away. Right. And we can choose to receive. And that's what we have to do in salvation. So God does everything except we have to open the door. Yeah. Right. That's all we do. But that part we do. Calvinism says, no, you don't even do that. Because even if you did that, then it's not completely God's grace. It's It's not completely on him. It's your work. And so they're trying to defend this. I did nothing, which the good side of that is I can completely rely on God for salvation because I did nothing in the first place. Mm -hmm. The bad part is, well, people are going to hell. And that means that they didn't rely on anybody but God for that either. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. Philosopher Eleanor Stump, she may have developed this since I took her class, but she talked about a quiescent will, right? So one, yeah, if we're cooperating with God's grace, we can always say no and walk away. And that's our choice to mm-hmm. lose God's grace. But the reception of the grace seems like a work, quote unquote. And she proposed possibly something she called a quiescent will, meaning you just stop willing. And if you stop willing, God can infuse a will to receive the grace, Because if you're saying yes or no with your will, your will has a form. And so to change that is to break us and to rob us of our will. But if we choose not to have any willing with respect to Which is still a choice. Well, if I just stop, that's different from actually Pelagian-like pulling myself up by my own bootstraps. I didn't actually grab God's grace. I just got rid of my will so that God could give me a will. Right. And even that is a response to grace. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because God has prepared you for that moment and, and prevenient grace, what we call it that God has brought you to this moment where you could even desire such a thing. But yeah, I would say that the same thing as I can stop willing no, right? I cannot will yes, but I can stop willing no, and I can let God in. And I think in a pastoral Um, sense, in the moment of despair, in the moment of rock bottom, that's often how it feels. We don't know what else to do. Nothing we do is working, and we just say, 
I can't do it. And you yeah. stop. Yep. Yeah. And you let go and, and you let him do his work. Yeah. And that's it. And so maybe to bring this around. Yeah. I was just going to say. Yeah. Why don't you, you want to bring us home, Justin? No, what? I was going to propose that. Yeah. Could you just, one of you tie this up? <laughs> <laughs> Fix this mess that we've gotten ourselves. You're in batting cleanup order. You're, you're up now. Um, no, but this, but. this is not my. Uh... Yeah. So to bring it around, we say this all the time, but. We're probably going to come back to this because we didn't even get to a place that I wanted to go. Which I is, didn't even get to quote the Matrix more. <laughs> I know, right? That is a bad thing. Uh, we should do a live show where we just watch and talk about the Matrix. <laughs> what do you think, listeners? Well, thank you all, listeners, for joining us. Uh, this has been 10,000 Places. We Today we're talking about the will and how there is a mysterious reality in that God allows us to make choices, even bad ones. He does not will those choices, but he does will that they be permitted. Would that be fair to say, guys? Because he can bring greater good And out so of it, yeah. everything is an aspect of God's providence, but not everything is of the same level of approbation or approval from God. God does not approve of the sin of Adam, but he allows yeah, it. Yeah, that's a good way to distinguish. He allows but doesn't approve. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, the greatest thing to me, the statement of his power that really is infinite is that it is so infinite that it can take into account all of our choices and still accomplish his ultimate will. Yeah. If we were God, we couldn't do that. No, <laughs> no. but God can have a permissive will. That's right. And still bring about his, his ends. and still bring about yeah. his ends. Yeah. Where's all that podcast so, info? Where, where do we send yeah, people? Yeah. For that yeah. next time, huh? Does God will that we share our podcast? I would say that? he at least permits it if you're right. going to do okay. it. Okay. I will use my will. I will make a free choice. Freely choose, my friend. <laughs> this episode was initiated by a listener's questions, which we all freely chose to respond to. And you can, and you you too, can choose. You too can choose to send us show requests at 10,000 places podcast, all spelled out, at gmail.com. Yes. Thank you. And uh, thank you so much for listening. It's been a fun time. I'm Alex Giltner. I'm Justin Aquila. I'm Lewis Pearson. That's 10,000 places. <laughs> <laughs>